Hey fam, welcome back to Sisters in Crime. This is episode two. We're going to be talking about a serial killer who to this day has never been caught. During his killings, he taunted the police with letters demanding that they be printed in a local newspaper or else he would go on a killing spree. He has known to operate in Northern California between the years of 1968 and 1969, mostly targeting couples with seven total known victims. Kate... Who are we covering today? The Zodiac Killer. <laughs> right. Um, so do you know anything about the Zodiac Killer? Um, I mean, obviously I know I've heard of him. I've, I watched a movie about him on Netflix. Um, but honestly, I haven't really done a much, uh, much research on him mm-hmm. or really kind of dove into it a lot. I don't even think yeah. I've heard a podcast on, on this one. Yeah, it's... Um... It's really difficult because he's only known for about one year. And there are so many different um, conspiracies as to who it might be. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's just so many people that it could potentially tie back to. And then there's potentially more victims. So, I mean, it's still an ongoing case. Um, It's open in some counties. It's it's not, I mean, it's closed in others. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's still an ongoing case. It's still baffling. We still don't know who he is. Um, so I guess without further ado, let's just dive right in. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, so on the night of December 20th, mom's birthday, 19, shout out to you, mama, shout out to mama, 1960. She is an angel. (laughs) Jeez. Well, this was before she was born. This was three years before she was born. Thank God. (laughs) 1968, December 20th. 17-year-old David Faraday and his 16-year-old girlfriend, Betty Lou Jensen, were on their first date. The couple had planned to attend a Christmas concert at Hogan High School where they attended, but instead they decided it would be a little more fun and romantic to stop at a local restaurant and then head out to Lake Herman Road, notably known as Lover's Lane, which is on the outskirts of Vallejo, California. And for those of you who aren't familiar with this area, it's near the San Francisco Bay Area. Okay, so that's that's a nice area. Yeah. Yeah, so David and Betty Lou arrived to their designated spot around 10.15 p.m., and as they were getting cozy in David's mother's Rambler, a second car pulled in next to them. They thought it was just another couple coming to Canoodle. When a man exited the car and walked towards David and Betty Lou, he ordered Betty Lou out of the first car, and when David was halfway out of the Rambler, the man shot him in the head. Dang. So he ordered Betty Lou out first. And as she's getting out, Mm -hmm. David's trying to get out. And he sees David doing this and just immediately shoots him in the head. Wow. Waste no time, I guess. No time. This terrified Betty Lou and she decided to make a run for it, but she wasn't successful. She made it about 28 feet from the car before the man ended up shooting her five times in the back. Then he casually drove off. Wow. Seems like overkill for Betty Lou. Right. It's almost like, it's almost, but it's almost like it's unplanned because it's like, oh shit, she's getting away. And then just shoots her five times to make sure she's dead. 
Yeah, and 28, yeah, 28 feet away is not that far. So, I mean, this is his first known one. I don't know if this is actually his first kill, um, but it just seems kind of, yeah, overkill. So about 45 minutes later, a woman named Stella Borges, who lived nearby, took a walk up to Lover's Lane. She came upon the Rambler and found Betty Lou and David. Both have been shot to death. She immediately called the police. The crime scene was investigated by the Solano County Sheriff's Department, but unfortunately no leads were developed. Which... Frustrating. Very frustrating. So let's fast forward to July 4th, 1969. Darlene Farron, who was 22, and her 19-year-old boyfriend, Kuka, Mike McGill, <laughs> were sitting in their parked car in the Blue Rock Springs Park in Vallejo, which was just about four miles away from Lover's Lane, where the first killing happened. While they were sitting in her car, enjoying each other's company, a second car pulled in next to them, but almost immediately drove away. Darlene and Mike found this odd, but kind of just shrugged it off and didn't think anything of it. And about 10 minutes later, that same car returned and parked behind Darlene and Mike. The driver got out of the car and walked up on the passenger side, the man was carrying a flashlight and a 9mm Luger, which is a semi-automatic handgun pistol. Uh, the man then shined the flashlight into Mike and Darlene's eyes before shooting at them five times. Here wow. we go with that overkill. <laughs> yeah. Um, both Mike, and then it almost makes me feel it's like, does he even know how to operate a gun? Or right. is, <laughs> is he just all willy-nilly yeah. just like... Right. Or is he wait, just wait, getting... was it Was it the same type of gun? Do you know that the first... The first? Um, I want to assume that it was, um, because I, I, they, they never specified on when they recovered the bullets, like if they ever did okay. like a ballistics test or like a ballistics match or anything, I never did find that, but I'm assuming it's the same one only uh -huh. because of like the, the next couple of victims that right. will go through. Right. Okay. So he probably just found this on the side of the road and just or started shooting <laughs> Everybody yeah, and their and their and their significant other. But you got to think. I mean, today the laws to buy a gun. I mean, there there really aren't any laws. It's not hard to go buy. A yeah. Gun. So true. think about 1968. Right. True. True. It's, it probably it was even easier to obtain a gun. Mm -hmm. uh, there probably isn't even a record of this guy owning this gun, right. whoever it may be. Okay. True. So he uh, he walked back to his car. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm skipping a part. So they they he shot him five times. Both mm -hmm. Mike and Darlene were hit. Several bullets had passed through Mike because remember Mike's in the passenger seat. Mm -hmm. They're in Darlene's car, and he walked up on Mike's side. Um, the bullets had passed through Mike and hit Darlene. Oh the, my gosh! Yeah, the man then casually walked away from them, thinking he had succeeded until he heard Mike groaning. Oh. Yeah. Damn it, Mike. I know. Um, <laughs> the man walked back to the car, shot Mike and Darlene twice each before driving off. Jeez. So at 12.40 a.m., so the next day, this is July 5th, like in very early morning hours of July 5th, the Vallejo Police Department received a phone call from a man who gave them the location of the crime scene and claimed responsibility for both that attack and the 1968 murders of David and Betty Lou. Could you imagine receiving that call? Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So the police were obviously shocked, 
but set up a tracker on the call, which traced back to a gas station near Darlene and Mike's lifeless bodies. So they're like, let's go, boys. Let's get out to the scene. Right. Like, maybe the killer is still in the area. You know, maybe we can solve this. And then boom, mm -hmm. done. Let yeah. So police officials and medics race to the scene in hopes they could save the victims. They rush both Darlene and Mike to the hospital. Darlene was unfortunately pronounced dead at the hospital, but Mike had survived the attack despite being shot in the face, neck, and chest. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. Yeah. So I couldn't find like the exact wounds that went through him and hit Darlene. Yeah. Um, maybe it was the face. Like think of maybe the cheek. If he hit the cheek, right. like it went through his cheek and then yeah. hit. I'm not well, sure. Didn't that happen with JFK? Like, I don't know. You're the history buff. <laughs> one of them. Well, one of them went through like his chest and went into the passenger seat. He was sitting in the back in the passenger oh, seat and, yeah. and hit the guy in the front. Yeah. So if, if I, that could happen in like the chest area, I'm like that. Yeah. You know, that's yeah, really I think, That's crazy. I think depending on the, like, it has to be the perfect spot for it to go through. Yeah. You. Yeah. But still keep you alive somehow it's amazing how fragile the human body is but how resilient much it can yeah yeah i know it's crazy yeah so mike was able to describe the attacker as a 26 to 30 year old 195 to 200 pound or possibly even more five foot eight inch white male with short light brown curly hair that's pretty descriptive wow when you're lying on the he floor. He just got shot in the yeah. face, neck, and chest. And he's like, oh, yeah, I saw him. Yeah. He's like, he looks just like this. Yeah. Yeah. So police started their investigation with this evidence from the scene and uh, Mike's description. But unfortunately, officials were unable to track down the killer. Ugh. Yeah. So I started getting frustrated here. But I had to keep telling myself, this is 1969, where the technology was barely there, you know? Right, right. And you know what this kind of reminds me of? For some reason, this just popped in my head. The son of Sam did that, too. Like, he just randomly yeah. just shot couples. And he really didn't have much of a motive, I feel like. I'm so glad you said that. Because it gets interesting. It gets oh, does interesting. It? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, well, we're going to put a pin in that and we're going to come back to it. Okay. okay. <laughs> so listeners, we're putting a pin in that, put it, you know, put it in the back of your head, but don't forget about it. Cause we're going to come back to it. Okay. So I want to talk about the first letters now. So almost a month later from the second, from Darlene and Mike's attacks on August 1st, 1969, three local newspapers, the San Francisco Examiner, the San Francisco Chronicle, and the Vallejo Times Herald each received an individual handwritten letter and an envelope with a return without a return address. Sorry. The letter read, Dear Editor, I am the killer of the two teenagers last Christmas at Lake Herman. I want Kate, I want you to read what the letter read. Dear Editor, I am the killer of the two teenagers last Christmas at Lake Herman. End quote. End quote. <laughs> okay. So just just coming out full throttle. Okay, thanks. <laughs> What's thanks. your name? <laughs> thanks, bye. Um, the letters contain details from the murders that only the killer could have known. 
the killer demanded they be printed on each paper's front page or he would, quote, cruise around all weekend killing lone people in the night, then move on to kill again until I end up with a dozen people over the weekend, end quote. Wow. Psychopath. Yeah. The San Francisco Chronicle published the letter on page four, which I feel like is just like kind of like an F you to him. It's like, we're not posting this shit on the right. page. <laughs> like not even the second or the no, third, honey. You're, you're getting the fourth page. You ain't the one, two, nor the three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they published it on the fourth page um, the next day. And uh, with an article printed alongside the letter with a quote from the Vallejo police chief, Jack E. Stilt saying, quote, we're not satisfied that the letter was written by the murderer and requested the writer send a second letter with more facts to prove his identity. Well, that's smart. I mean, you can't yeah. really, I mean, you can't really just take a note like that and be like, Oh yeah, this is probably him. Exactly. Cause there's so, crazies out there. Yeah. The first letter referred to as the 408 symbol cryptogram was decoded by a high school teacher by the name of Donald Harden and his wife, Betty. And just to make things clear here, the letter was named the 408 Simple Cryptogram because it had 408 characters. Pretty okay. self-explanatory. Like those little symbols. Mm -hmm. you mean. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I actually have all the letters up on our website. So if you want to see any of those images or I also have the victims on our website, too. So you can go check that out after this episode. Um, now, were these just like random little characters he made up or... Like, I'm confused. What are the symbols? They're like, <laughs> have you ever, like, played around a word for my millennial people here? Like, back in, like, the old day where, like, word had those really weird, um, like, symbols. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like, that's what it looked like. Okay. So, anytime you hit an S, like, that was a symbol on the mm -hmm. key. You know, anytime you yeah. hit an A, like, it was a specific yeah. symbol. And somehow, this high school teacher... And his wife decoded this. And I actually have the letter of that too. Like I have an image of wow. like it and then how they decoded it. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. People are so cool and smart. I know. <laughs> I know. The cipher read. Actually, Kate, do you want to read it? Sure. <laughs> it said, quote, I like killing people because it is so much fun. It is more fun than killing wild game in the forest because man is the most dangerous animal of all. End quote. He's not wrong. He, he ain't wrong. So the threat. I mean, on the last part, not not the first <laughs> yeah. part. Yeah. So the threat weekend murders did not happen because they, you know, they did publish uh, the letter, even on even though it wasn't on the first page. But all remaining two mm -hmm. letters were eventually published on the other newspapers. So on August 7th, which was six days after the first letter was received, another letter was mailed to the San Francisco Examiner with the salutation, quote, Dear Editor, editor this is the Zodiac speaking. This was the first, first time, time he said. Yeah, this oh, was the first bad. time. <laughs> so, this is the first time the killer had used this name for identification. The letter was a response to Chief Stiltz's request for more details that would prove he had killed David, Betty Lou, and Darlene. In it, the Zodiac included details about the murders that had not yet been released to the public, as well as a message to the police that when they crack the code, quote, they will have me. This letter was referenced mm -hmm. as the 340 cipher, and it wasn't decoded until 2020, which read, I hope you are having lots of fun and trying to catch me. 
Well, we're still having fun because it's 2021. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, buddy. The killer would close each letter with a symbol consisting of a circle with a cross through it, which contributed to his name, the Zodiac Killer. Again, that image is also on our mm -hmm. website. I feel like if you know anything about true crime, you've seen that. Yeah, absolutely. And if you haven't, GTF. Oh, I mean, just kidding. <laughs> Now, this third killing doesn't sound like the Zodiac Killer at first. On the evening of September 27, 1969, Brian Hartnell and Cecilia Shepard are picnicking at Lake Berryessa, which is located in Napa County. It's a little over an hour drive from the first two murders. Brian mm -hmm. and Cecilia were two college students who attended Pacific Union College. While relaxed and enjoying their picnic, a white man about 5'11", and weighing more than 170 pounds, which is almost the exact description Mike from the second murders gave. Oh, yeah. The man approached Brian and Cecilia wearing a black executioner's type hood with clip-on sunglasses over the eye holes and a bib <laughs> and a bib-like device on his chest that had a white three-by-three-inch three cross circle symbol on it. He approached, yeah. he approached them with a gun, which Brian believed to be a 45, which is a handgun. So mm -hmm. this is different from the first. Right. He tied him up. Or I'm sorry, from the second, the second murder. Um, you know, different handgun. So I guess he, I don't know. I don't know where he's getting these guns. <laughs> I think he's finding them. Black market. On the streets, yeah. White House black market. That's where he's getting them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the hooded man claimed to be an escaped convict from a jail with a two-word name in either Colorado or Montana, and a police officer later inferred that the man had been referring to a jail in Deer Lodge, Montana. Um, the man claimed he had killed a guard and stolen a car, explaining that he now needed their car and money to travel to Mexico because the vehicle that he had been driving was, quote, too hot. So that's weird that he, he's, like, talking up a storm all of a sudden. I know. Because he didn't say anything in the first two. Well, yeah, that's why at first I'm like, this can't be the Zodiac. Yeah. But then you, you see what he, I mean, it could have been an impersonator, but. Yeah. When I read through the rest of this, you'll kind of just be like, okay, yeah, like, maybe that is <laughs> Mm -hmm. The man told Cecilia to tie up Brian before he tied her up. Brian initially believed this was just a bizarre robbery, but the man drew a knife and stabbed them both repeatedly. Brian suffered six stab wounds and Cecilia took 10 stabs to her body. Wow. Again, overkill on the woman. Right. And also he is getting more intimate with using the knife, which is weird. Yeah. Even though he brought the handgun. Mm -hmm. You're right. Which again, wasn't the M.O. in the first two. Exactly. That's, yeah, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah. The killer then hiked back up to Brian's car and the cross circle symbol on the, wrote a cross circle, I can't say that, cross <laughs> circle symbol on the car door with a black felt tip pen and wrote beneath it, Vallejo 12 20 September 27th, 69, 6.30, by knife. Interesting. So those are all the crimes, and then the last one he just put, by knife? Yeah, so like he killed them by knife. 
Interesting. And he like wrote What's down the, the six time. Thirty? Yeah, I was gonna say why is this like it, like it's like six colon thirty. Hmm. Like you would write for the time. Right. Hmm. So okay. Um, at 7.40 p.m., the killer called the Napa County Sheriff's Office from a payphone to report his latest crime. The caller first stated to the operator that he wished to, quote, report a murder. No, a double murder, before stating hmm. that he had been the perpetrator of the crime. Detectives were able to lift a still wet palm print from the payphone, but were never able to match it to any suspect. Oh Again. my gosh. So frustrating. So frustrating. Yeah. Again, guys, 1969. Yeah. Yeah. Dad was I born. Mean, Dad was born by then. Yeah. By, this <laughs> by these last two. Okay. This was 60 years ago. Just kidding, Dad. Yeah, this was 172 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> Just kidding, Dad. We love you. Um, love you. <laughs> so a man and his son who were fishing in a nearby cove had heard Brian Cecilia screaming for help the man contacted park rangers and the park rangers contacted the Napa County Sheriff Sheriff office and um, the two deputies that came out were Dave Collins and Ray Land they were the two first officers on the scene Cecilia was conscious when Deputy Collins arrived providing him with a detailed description of the attacker Brian and Cecilia were taken to Queen of the Valley Hospital in Napa by ambulance. Cecilia lapsed into a coma during transport and never regained consciousness. She died two days later, but Brian survived to recount his tale to the press. Napa County Detective Ken Narla, who was assigned to the case, worked on solving the crime until his retirement from the department in 1987. So, like, he worked on that for almost 20 years after. Wow. That's crazy. That's dedication. It is dedication. We love Ken. But also, again, the man survived. And the woman. I know. Overkill. Isn't that wild? Yeah. Let's move on to victim seven. The next victim was on October 11th, two weeks after the Lake Berryessa incident. The Zodiac claimed another life, shooting 29-year-old taxi driver Paul Stein in San Francisco's Presidio Heights neighborhood. The Zodiac climbed into the back of Paul's cab, requesting to be driven to Washington and Maple Streets in Presidio Heights. I think I'm saying that right. If I'm not, Presidio? He shot Paul once in the head with a 9mm handgun, took Paul's wallet and car keys, and tore away a section of Paul's bloodstained shirt. So, here's the crazy thing. There were three teenagers across the street who witnessed him killing Paul and then called the police while the crime was in progress. Like, they saw this going on across the street, and so they called it in. They're like, what the yeah. hell? So the killer began, and as, as this is going on, as they're calling into the police, the killer began wiping down Paul's cab before walking away um, towards the, the neighborhood, which is one block north of where he shot Paul. He, he was walking towards, like, this other neighborhood. Um, two blocks from the crime scene, patrol officers Don... Folk, F-O-U-K-E, and Eric Zelms responded to the call. They saw a white man walking along the sidewalk and stepped into a stairway leading up to the front yard of one of the homes on the north side of the street. The encounter lasted only five to ten seconds, according to the police. It only lasted five to ten seconds. 
put a pin in that. Wow. Officer Folk estimated the white male pedestrian to be 35 to 45 years old, 5'10", with a crew cut similar to but slightly older, older than the description provided by the teenagers who observed the killer in and out of Paul's cab. So, I mean, these are kids, like, they're not going to get the description exact, and so, like, can we still, like, check it out, maybe? Right, like, hello. The teenagers described the suspect to be 25 to 30 years old, with a crew crew cut and standing approximately 5 foot 8 inches to 5 foot 9 inches inches tall, which is almost exactly like the description Mike gave. Right. Again. Yeah. So... However, the police radio dispatcher had alerted officers to look out for a black suspect. Are you kidding? Yeah. How? Like, how is that? How does that mix up even happen? It doesn't. It's all. Yeah. So Officer Folk and Officer Zelms drove past the perpetrator without stopping. The mix up in descriptions remains unexplained. A search ensued, but no suspects were found. Of course. The suspects were found because you let the suspect go. Right. What are you doing? Like, this is where it just doesn't make sense. Like, we have a killer who obviously is, one, taunting police. Two, killed six people prior. Can we get a move on? Like, can we put a little pep in our step? So, even, even if it was a black man that did this to the cab driver, and you see this white man that fits the Zodiac description to a t why wouldn't you stop him like why wouldn't you try to talk to him right i don't know maybe i don't understand how police work works i mean like uh, maybe i don't know i don't know i still don't understand that to this day how did we when teenagers call in hey this white man looking looking like this just shot this cab driver in the back of the head and is cleaning up you know the scene basically mm-hmm. how yeah. does that get portrayed to a black man it it doesn't i think racism yep is it dare i say it i don't know moving on i mean yeah that's just bs honestly it is such bs So, since this crime seemed to be a robbery gone wrong that ended in murder, police officials didn't think this was a crime by the Zodiac since it didn't seem to fit his M.O. Then, on October 14th, three days after the killing of Paul, the cab driver, the San Francisco Mm -hmm. Chronicle received a letter claiming the crime and a torn section of Paul's bloody shirt to, quote, prove this fact. Hmm. Like, he wrote in the letter to, like, here's proof. Okay. Police officials contacted the three teens that called in the crime who worked with a police sketch artist to prepare a composite sketch of Paul's killer. A few days later, this police artist returned, working with the witnesses to prepare a second composite sketch, and detectives Bill Armstrong and Dave Toshi were assigned to the case and investigated an estimated 2,500 suspects over a period of years from this sketch. And I will post these sketches up on our website and they'll be up on the Instagram post that I, that I'll post. Um, I just said post like 15 times, but (laughs) (laughs) we'll post them. Okay. I just want to take a step back here. Why didn't they let Mike like Mike described? Yeah. Why didn't they let Mike Mike had a description? So did Brian. 
All right, Ryan, why didn't they let him see? I don't know. I don't know. The sketch. Like, why Why couldn't they get a sketch from those two? Right. Why did it take, I don't know, another question mark? Question mark. Let's dive into some more letters. Along with the October 14th letter, the mailing also included the October 14th letter was the um, one of Paul. Along with okay. that letter, the mailing also included a threat about killing school children on a school bus. Kate, I want you to read this quote. Just shoot out the front tire and then pick off the kitties as they come bouncing out. End quote. Wow. Okay. I don't even know what to comment on that. So we're just going to. Me neither. But we'll again, just... it's different. Like, there's yeah. no really. There's not. A I think lot he of... just like making, making threats. Like, really? He does dramatic threats. He's psycho. He is psycho. Not a psycho as Ed Ed Gein, though. <laughs> Ed Gein. Our previous Ed no, is just out of this world. He's on a whole nother level. So on October 20th, 1969, someone claiming to be the Zodiac called the Oakland Police Department demanding that one of two prominent lawyers, F. Lee Bailey or Melvin Belly, appear on AM San Francisco, which was a talk show on KGO-TV hosted by Jim Dunbar. Bailey wasn't available, but Belly was, and he did appear on the show. And the talk show host appealed to the viewers to keep the lines open, and someone claiming to be the Zodiac called several times, and Belly asked the caller for a less ominous name. Okay, remember the first pen that I told you to put in the back of your mind? Okay, bring it back out. When Caitlin was talking okay. about, you know, Son of Sam... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And how he randomly shot couples? Yeah. Okay, so... In New York. Yeah, so... Well, yeah, so the belly belly asked for um, for a less ominous name, and the killer... Oh, sorry. The caller picked Sam. Huh, interesting. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. So, I just, yeah. I mean, Sam is also just a common name. Could have just been That is true. Name. But as soon as but, I heard Sam, I'm know. like, son of Sam? You know, because that's just how right. my mind works. But yeah, I mean, you have to look into it a little. Right. You have to think about it a little. Son of Sam was known as the 44 caliber killer. Didn't the Zodiac killer yeah. use a 44? Yeah. Yeah, that was the whole son of Sam's thing. Why, I, why didn't I know this? Anyways, he pleaded, I mean, Son of Sam pleaded guilty to eight shootings that began in New York City on July 29th, 1976. Yeah, he, a dog told him to do it, is what he said. <laughs> but then he found, he came to Jesus in jail. Yeah, whatever. So anyways, all I'm saying <laughs> is he could have started off in California and made his way across the country. That's, That's what all I'm saying. saying. That's what I was saying. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Moving on. He the was like a postal worker or something. So the caller said he would not reveal his true identity as he was afraid of being sent to the gas chamber, which at the time was California's capital punishment, which is surprising to me for some reason. Like the gas chamber? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I didn't like, know that damn. was really. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. Especially for, not in 1969. That's what I'm saying. Like, not in, you know, the 60s and stuff. Yeah. 
So Belly arranged a rendezvous to meet the caller outside a shop on Mission Street in Dally City, but no one arrived. The call was later traced back to... <laughs> this is where it's like, it like cracks me up. The call was later traced back to a patient in a mental institution <laughs> and oh investigators God. concluded that the man was not the Zodiac. No shit, you don't say. <laughs> yeah. Like, this, this, this guy, getting... this guy in his head... He just George, these- how did you get back out of your room? <laughs> why, you take, why are you, you know, making prank phone calls? Come on, George, get back to the loony bin. Get he back to your padded people, room. Yeah, he made these people go back, do the show. Or, like, these people go on the show. He literally just facilitated that single-handedly. Yeah. <laughs> that was, like, his, like, 15 minutes of fame right there. Yeah. He can die, wanna, he can die happy, I guess, now. <laughs> I want to know who that was and if they're still alive. Yeah. <laughs> He's probably totally, completely out of his mind. Not even knowing <laughs> yeah. what the hell was going on. Yeah. So, on November 8th of the same year, <laughs> the Zodiac mailed a card with another cryptogram consisting of 340 characters, this cipher dubbed Z340. It remained unsolved for over 51 years until December 5th, 2020. In the decrypted message, the Zodiac denied being the, quote, Sam who spoke on AM San Francisco, explaining that he was not afraid of the gas chamber, quote, because it will send me to a paradise all the sooner. Just let us know who you are. Like, we'll get you there, you know? Yeah. And also, like, I don't know if it'd be paradise, but you can think that. Well, he's Looney Tunes, so probably it's paradise Mm -hmm. for him. He's just trying to be somebody who's ain't afraid, you know, whatever. So the next day, November 9th, the Zodiac mailed a seven page letter stating that the two policemen patrolling after Paul's shooting had stopped and actually spoke with them, with him three minutes after he shot the cab driver. Excerpts from the letter were published in the Chronicle on November 12th, including the Zodiac's claim. Oh, my God. So, like, that was him. And they they Ugh. they freaking talk to him. Ugh. They talk to him. This is so annoying. Yeah. Also, Letters- I as I sit in my bedroom, like never been a police officer or anything, but still, it's annoying. <laughs> it is annoying. The letters seem to stop in 1974, yet the investigation is still going on. All I'm saying, they stopped in 1974 because he went across to the East Coast to become the son of Sam. You're right. I'm probably completely wrong, but... Yeah, we're probably way off on that one, but still. I'm just going on a theory. Like, it's late when we're recording this. And, like, you know, (laughs) we need need something hopeful to get us through this. Yeah, we do. This episode. So I I think I have another theory, actually. All right, I'm going to read through these theories, and then I want to hear yours. Okay. So at least five other murders have been tentatively linked to the Zodiac Killer, including the 1963 shooting of Robert Domingos and Linda Edwards near Santa Barbara, California, and the 1966 stabbing death of college student Sherry Jo Bates in Riverside, California. There is also the report from 22-year-old Kathleen Johns. And this one, actually, I, I feel it could be real. They, they shrugged her off at the end, but I think there could be some validity behind this. So she was allegedly abducted on March 22nd, 1970 on Highway 132 near I-580 in an area west of Modesto. 
And again, for those of you who might not be so familiar with California, it's um, an area um, about an hour and a half outside of San Francisco. So still in the vicinity of his counties. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Kathleen escaped from the car of a man who drove her and her infant daughter around the area for approximately one and a half hours. Her captor allegedly flagged her down in his car and told her that her right rear wheel was wobbling and asked if she wanted him to tighten it up for her. She's probably thinking, oh, my God, this guy is such a good Samaritan. Like, thank God. Right. Like, I need help. Oh, my gosh. So as she began to merge onto the highway, her wheel almost immediately came off. Oh, my God. So he pulled back up to her and asked if he could take her to the nearest gas station. No, you Which, in my not. mind, I'd be like, no, dude. Like, you you, uh, you loosened it. What, what? Yeah, no, sir. No, sir. She and her daughter got into the man's car. After the man passed several gas stations and driving around back roads, Kathleen asked why he wasn't stopping and the man would just change the subject. Finally, at an intersection, Kathleen decided to grab her daughter and jump out. Once she was able to reach police and give her statement, she she saw the sketch of Paul's murder murderer, um, which was, you know, Paul was the cab driver. Yeah. And then she told the officer that the man in the sketch was the guy who kidnapped her and her daughter. Jeez, again, like everybody's on the same page as what this dude looks like. But they dismissed her because they're they they didn't see her as like a reliable. Oh witness. my gosh. Yeah. Because there uh. were like some indiscrepancies like in her story. One thing, like she yeah, said it this she way was one time. And, right. Right. So the current state of the case in April 2004, the San Francisco Police Department marked the case inactive citing caseload pressure and resource demands effectively closing the case. However, they reopened their case sometime before March 2007. The case is open in Napa County and in the city of Riverside. In May 2018, the Vallejo Police Department announced their intention to attempt to collect the Zodiac Killer's DNA from the backup stamps he used during his correspondence. The analysis Mm -hmm. by a private laboratory was expected to check the DNA against GED match. Jet Gadma G, yeah. It was hoped Genet- the- yeah, isn't that like genetic stuff? Yeah, yeah. And you can also do that with like familial DNA too. Yeah. I mean, that's how they caught the Golden State Killer. Right. Vallejo police detective said that results were expected in several weeks. However, as of May 2021, those results have been reported, which I do know when I was researching a different case, it does take a hot minute because you have to think like also with familial DNA. Uh, I think they're, I think it's just like a combination of them waiting on a bunch of different factors to make sure that they have the right guy. You don't want to come out and be like, this is the Zodiac killer. And it's totally not that guy. You right. Know? Yeah. We don't, yeah. We don't want to mess this up. Like that's definitely what we don't want to do. Right. We want to have this um, locked down. So right. tell me your theory. It's not so much a theory, just kind of like a thought as I was listening to this. Um, but I almost want to feel, I almost think that it could be somebody like in law enforcement. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, you don't even have to finish your sentence. Yes. It has like random guns. Like it seems like that- they had every little resource to like catch him. Like people saw him multiple times. Well, that was the Golden State Killer. He was oh, in, really? um, yeah, he was in law enforcement. Especially- How did he get away with this much shit? That's what I'm saying. This wasn't just one or two, like, killings with a gun that they can't find. Like, people survived the attacks. 
They even got, there's the stamps, DNA on the back of the stamps. Right. There's that palm print that they lifted from the payphone. There's mm-hmm. how many different descriptions? Right. There's five what descriptions. You, you had the three teenagers mm-hmm. and you had Mike's and you had Brian. Right. And the woman's like, I mean, I guess they threw yeah. that out though. Yeah. But even like without hers, that's still five people who have claimed to see this guy. Plus the two officers. Mm-hmm. Sorry, not the woman. I shouldn't have referred to her as the woman, but Kathleen Johns. Yeah, it's okay. You know um, I mean. But yeah, I just, I don't buy that we can't like figure this out. I don't either. So, but also that, that is our take on the Zodiac Killer. We want to hear from you guys. If you have any theories, you can go ahead and visit our website sistersincrimepod.com and then go to our blog post and there's a comment section on there go ahead and uh, you can comment on that with your theories you can send us an email sistersincrimepod at gmail.com or you can comment on our instagram post sistersincrimepod at sistersincrimepod so that is episode two and we will see you here next thursday for a very special Kate episode. And we're not going to release the details quite yet. Not yet. It's going to be, it's going to be a good one. I put a lot of love into this one. Little TLC. lot of TLC. Yeah. (laughs) So we hope to see you back here next week. Yep. Bye fam. (laughs) Bye fam. (laughs) Thank you.